Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude Podcast. Another day of fresh grace and mercy uh, with... Nick Fulweiler and Peter Bell. How you doing, bro? I am doing fantastic. It's a good day. Yes, it is. And this topic is super exciting for both of us. Um, probably the, maybe the most confusing thing for unbelievers and as well as believers, explaining the Trinity. Hmm. Yeah, so it is uh, something that I remember – when I was a young boy and I was a um, young buck, a young buck at the church I was going to at the time. And I remember the pastor explaining in the sermon about Trinity and I walked up to him afterwards and I was so confused how there's one God, but three people. And I'm like, can you explain it to me? And all I remember <laughs> him saying, talking about the egg analogy. You know? <laughs> yeah. What an yeah. egg is, and there's uh, a shell, the egg white and the yolk, all of it make up an egg. And I'll be honest, I still walked away very confused. So <laughs> I would too, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's been a lifelong journey of trying to understand it. But this is just, you know, coincidentally, I think with even in the last few months of digging into this stuff while I've been sitting at home because of COVID, a lot of this stuff has started to make more and more sense and with your help too. So yeah, you don't have COVID. You're just sitting at home because of COVID. Yes. I want people to understand that I did not have COVID. I was just because of the atmosphere of what's going on around us, uh, just being at home more and staying indoors, uh, been reading a lot and yeah. Um, yeah, let's jump right in. Um, so how can we, best describe the trinity because there is one god and three distinct beings yeah and like i said there was the egg analogy i brought up so how could you explain it yeah so you know i could either use my words or i can use um what's so there's there's a couple creeds that have kind of provided the basis historically for christian doctrine and the reason why these exist is either a heretic or somebody with an opposing view of the gospel was well known. And so um, they would propound their teaching, they'd teach other people. And so the church realized, like, you know, we have to, we have to create a document in order to combat this teaching. Let me read from um, the Athanasian Creed. It's a little bit, little bit more towards this as well. Um, not, it's... There's some conjecture on whether this was written by Athanasius or other people who wrote it under Athanasius's um, name, but here is this really distinct uh, understanding of the Trinity. So it says, now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit, still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. It goes further on and further on, but it's saying there is one essence, three persons. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how are we able to honor believing in one God? Because that is the first commandment of the 10 commandments, right? Yeah. And, but also at the same time, it'd be a monotheistic religion. There's really only main three main monotheistic religions, which is Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So how can we still be a monotheistic religion, still honor believing in one God, honoring the uh, first commandment, and, but also recognize at the same time, there are three distinct, different, equal in power, equal in divinity beings, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so let me reference kind of, this is the middle, uh, this is like maybe the last first third, if that makes sense, of the Athanasian Creed. And then I'll explain it a little bit. And it, it goes into this exclusively. So it says, and yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable, immeasurable being. And so it says the Father is God, the Father is Lord, the Son is God, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. And the reason why we can confess that is like what I said before, it's, there's one essential divinity. There are three persons who share equally in that divinity. So there is one God in the sense that there is one essential Godhead shared within the three persons. And so people who convict Christians of being tritheists or those who don't quite understand it will confuse those two terms. They'll say there's three pers- there's three divine beings in one person, or there's three persons and three divine beings. But we said there's one divine essence there's one divinity and there are three persons who share equally in this divinity so that's how we can call ourselves in a pure sense monotheistic or or one god people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay good thank you um and i doubt you would be able to answer this because we're not on this side of heaven (laughs) um but in your kind of educated guess do you think we'll truly experience seeing three different individuals in heaven as like we will see God, we will meet Jesus, and then we'll meet the Holy Spirit? Or will Jesus really be the only physical experience that we will be face-to-face with? Yeah, I think we have to go based off of the biblical record for understanding this. And our, our closest understanding of glorification or what heaven looks like is from John 20. So right after, uh, this is right when the, the tomb is open and the, the centurions like, oh no, this, is, this isn't good. Our one job, we failed at. And so the two women come to the tomb and then meet the resurrected Christ as they think, they think the farmer, which is an allusion to Adam. Um, but they meet Christ in the flesh. And I think that's an allusion for us also where he is our visible representation, as Philippians 2 talks about it as well. He's our visible representation of the Godhead and our mediator through the Father and the Spirit being the one who applies the work of Christ. When it says three persons, one essence, it doesn't mean three literal persons. We have to think how they would have thought back then. And it's, it's kind of a Latin way of saying 
there are three things, three beings, three persons, for lack of a better term, that share in that essence. So we will, as far as I know, we will see a physical Jesus, mm-hmm. but that God is that like immaterial, eternal being of some essence, but we see him through the son, truly. So it's not like we can't see the father. We see the father through the son. Okay. And we experience the spirit because of the son too. So if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like you can't say like, oh, I can't see God. It's we see God through Jesus. True. True. Like just on a way, infinitely smaller scale, we do see God on earth through other things. Yeah. Through the church. Yeah, um, we see his power manifested in creation, as Romans one talks about it. Mm-hmm. So we see the effects of who he is, what he's yes. done, uh, and that gives us more understanding of who he is. But doesn't show us in a picture who he is. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, you know, I I really am excited to read something from uh, Mere Christianity, which is by C.S. Lewis, one of the best books as a Christian to have on your bookshelf and read. Um, C.S. Lewis, just quick background, used to be an atheist, uh, turned believer, extremely smart guy. Um, He's been dead for quite a while, but uh, I think he's from England. Todd Oxford, uh, yeah, he knows his stuff. Yeah, he does. Uh, Some of his, he wrote the books of the Narnia, you probably heard his quotes one way or another, whether, whether you know it or not. Um, so I'm just going to read something, and it, it has to do with the Trinity. And weirdly, coincidentally enough, I just look, glanced over it yesterday. So uh, this is what he says in the book. Christ is begotten, not created. To, begets, to beget is to become the, become the father of. To create is to make. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. What, bo- what God begets is God, just as what man begets is man. What God creates is not God, just as what man makes is not man. This is why men are not sons of God in the same sense that Christ is. We are more like statues or pictures of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's that begotten created thing. I like to bring that up because um, <coughs> when we think about their age and God is a father, so in our human minds, we're like, oh, he has to be older. He has yeah. to be more powerful, more authoritative. Um, so that kind of like, I had a question written down and I read that, so I kind of partially answered my question but what really originally was was are all three trinitarian uh beings yeah persons of god equal in age if there's a father and a son wouldn't the son be younger does scripture ever say Hmm. he's begotten of the father so i kind of answered that part but as far as age and being equal in age or not can you be able to describe that more yeah so that's like technically for the trinity there is no age there's eternity there's infinitude there's there is no beginning there is no end if there's age that that means that there's a beginning 
Um, and when we speak of father, son, and spirit, like what you said, we have to think father more of that, that kingly sense that he is, he is the creator. He's the one who set things in motion. He's the one who planned redemption as the father. He's the one who created this plan. And the son is the one who executes it as the image of the father, as the image of the one true God. And the spirit being the one who applies it to people, applies the death, resurrection, the obedience of Jesus. Um, so we have to be careful kind of in our own language, in our own context, to put our understanding of father and son and age context on the Bible and seeing when the Bible speaks of father, it speaks of like, it's, it's a term in theology called the economic unity. It's, there's an economy. So the father is economically the one who planned. The son is economically the one who did that plan, who executed that plan, and the Spirit is the one who applies that plan. So it's less so like age difference, more so what is their role, what is their economic role, not like money-wise, but in terms of who they are within this Trinity, what is their role in this Trinity? And because they're begotten um, and God begets God, yeah, they... We, we, it's impossible for us to ever have as much power as God. And <laughs> yeah. Even, yeah. even the devil, like, he wanted as much power as God, and he's a created being. Yeah. So never an equal rival. Like, there's no rivals to God. He is, yeah, yeah. I think people mistake Satan for being, like, a demigod or, like, a lower god. But he's mm -hmm. created, like you said. There's, he has no inherent power versus the Trinity, God, Son, Holy Spirit has inherent power so all the heavenly beings angels cherubims all uh, people on earth and you know fallen angels and devil were all created so they're yeah. really zero rivals to god um yep. so you kind of answered this what are their three unique differences between mm -hmm. father, son and spirit um yeah could you go over that real quick again yeah to make it kind of concise it's the father is the one who planned Redemption, and a lot of this language comes from John 17. So if people want to read <coughs> through John 17 on their own, um, John 14 through 17 kind of speaks of this covenant between the Father and the Son and the Spirit's role in this. And so it's a longer section. So I'd really, if you guys want to pause this podcast right here and read through that real quick, and then a lot of this will make a little bit more sense. Um, but so the Father is the one who planned redemption. He's the one who set this ordinance in place the son is the one who agreed to uh to execute this redemption to take the people that god has taken for himself and to grip it and to make sure that we are not forsaken that we are not left alone and then the son or the spirit is the one who in john 20 we finally see that he's the one who gives this redemption applies it to people applies jesus christ's obedience uh to us on his behalf so it's planner is father, the executor is the son, not like executing death, but executing the plan, and the spirit is the applier. So planner, executor, applier. Perfect. <laughs> and <laughs> I mentioned this briefly in the previous episode that I personally find this really interesting that, you know, of the three persons in the Trinity, we on earth right now, we're so lucky to know all three. Um, yeah. 
sense that I mean history has been focused primarily on each of the three Trinity beings at a given time. So the creation account all the way up to when Jesus was born would be more of God the Father, Yahweh. Um, it talks about in the Old Testament. Um, there was description of a Messiah to come, but really with you know God coming as a burning bush to Moses and mm -hmm. stuff is mainly God was kind of the main focus, uh, the mm -hmm. Father. And during Jesus' earthly life, obviously Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, when Pentecost hit and he said, you know, I must go and I have to bring you a helper. Yeah. Uh, that was ushered in the church age we're in now, which is led by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we do know, like we said in the last episode, we are in, we've been in end times since the Holy Spirit took over. He is the yep. final th third person in the Trinity. Uh, there is no mysterious fourth person or yeah. thing like that. Like, I think that kind of wraps up history really. Yeah, it does. Um, where in the old Testament are there evidence of mentioning the other two persons in the Trinity other than Yahweh, the father example in the creation account, we do find it really cool that God says we make man in our image and things yeah. like that. Is there other kind of things to kind of go off of? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's some debate on, not translation issues, but who the we is. And so there's schools of thought on the we. And there's we is, um, God is speaking through the Trinity as we are making these in our image. There's another school of thought, um, and I'm a little more tied to this school of thought. It's, it's called the Heavenly Council of Thought. And it's talked about in Psalm 8, too. Uh, Psalm 8 is kind of a a praise hymnal um, account of the creation. And so that's really cool if you guys want to read Psalm 8, and it helps explain Christian account, too. Um, but we see, I think we see the Trinity in Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2, mm -hmm. and I think the Trinity is explained in, Genesis, or in John 1, 1 through 14. Uh, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created through the Word, and nothing that was created was not created but through the Word. I think he's directly alluding to Genesis 1, saying, we know the Trinity. The Trinity is there. And it's when God is creating, he creates through the Son by the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that's kind of brooding, hovering over the face of the water. Mm -hmm. The Son being creator is the one who's forming these things. And we also see it too in what's called theophanies. And theophany is just a, it's a theo, which is the Greek word for God. And phaneo, which is the Greek word for like seeing or vision. Um, and we see theophanies in the Exodus account with the burning bush, uh, where uh, he walks behind Moses and Moses asks to see his glory and says, you can't see my glory, but I'll show you my behind. And we can reasonably assume that, I mean, God is not a physical creature. Who is the physical creature within the Trinity? And that's, that's the son. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple other instances. Isaiah 6 talks about this. Uh, when Isaiah comes to the throne room of God and John 12 interprets it for us. And again, we kind of alluded this to uh, in uh, episode three with how to read the Bible. And so it's always, always, always let the Bible interpret itself and it will show you what it's talking about. In John 12, 
literally says, Isaiah was speaking of me. And Christ is the one who's speaking. And so when Isaiah says, I saw the throne of God, he's, as far as we know, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus sit at the right hand of God. Mm. So we can see it. And you have to be like a full Bible Christian. Read the Bible as one accounts of the Trinity. And it will explain itself and you will see it. It may be not hidden, but it may be shadowy in the Old Testament, but it's there. Yeah. There is a verse in the Bible um, that I would say adds a lot of confusion, to be honest, and yeah. some critique about the explanation of the Trinity. And the reason why it's loved by critics so much is because it comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And mm. I think we need to address this. Yeah. So if everyone knows the uh, Luke Chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except God alone. Yeah. I, just a big nugget of confusion. So can you <laughs> yeah. down explain it? Yeah. So this one, I mean, I, I'll be honest. This took me a little bit yesterday to try to figure out and study. <clears throat> but what struck me, um, and again, people can disagree with this, but I mean, I was working hard trying to figure this out. Jesus doesn't say, I'm not good. Um, he says, why do you call me good? I, I think he's effectively calling out the ruler because he says, good teacher. And we have to think, what's he referring to? And right after he says, I've done all these things. These are the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill, murder, slay. He's speaking about the Ten Commandments. And that's kind of that standard of the law. And the word that this young ruler uses is I have done these, or what shall I do to obtain, to inherit eternal life? And we can get into the grammar um, more fully later on, but it's, the grammar used is like, it's kind, kind of like a single event. He's basically, the, the, the guy is saying like, what one thing can I do? And Jesus is saying like, there's a whole lot more than just one thing. It's perfect, perpetual, and personal, like we talked about before. And he's also saying there's a word he uses that's inheritance language. So it's, um, he's thinking like, I can do one thing and I can inherit everything versus fulfilling all of the law. But when he says good, I think Jesus is turning this on its head, basically saying in, at the end of verse 19 is, no one is good except the one God. It's like literally translating from Greek, no, no one no one is good except one, the God. I think he's saying in this passage, I am God. And you're calling me good, but I don't think you actually think I'm good. I don't think you think the one you're talking to is actually God. And it struck me too. He doesn't actually say, I'm not good. He just says, no one's good but God. But we know Jesus is God. And so by inferring that stuff, we can say that the ruler does not actually believe this is God. Wow. Jesus is so brilliant and wise when he says like a simple, <laughs> he always answers things in questions and yeah, yeah. people around him were always scratching their head and like, man, this guy, yeah. he's always putting me on the spot. Like people are probably sweating bullets around him all the time. Yeah. And that's like, we can't read into it and saying like, well, no one's good, but God, if we read that saying, Jesus is saying, I'm not good. We strip him from the Trinity versus saying 
God is good. You're calling me good, but I don't think you think, or he, not, I don't think you think, you know, or you believe I'm not God. And so I'm turning your question on its head saying, I am good because I am God, but you don't actually believe that. Right. True. Because yeah, that struck me because he, he does not say, I'm not good. He's saying, right. why are you calling me good? Why is this your question? I like that. That's good. That's good to kind of soak in. Um, yeah. When it comes to other religions and critics, and we, we've briefly answered this, but what would their main critique or argument be against our belief in the Trinity? Yeah, their number one thing is, is probably going to be, um, it's going to be a kind of a tie between well, there is no Trinity in the Old Testament, not explicitly, um, or your tritheist, you believe in three gods. Right. Um, but as Christians, too, we have to, we say in, in theology, by good and necessary consequence. So there's some things we can see within Scripture that are not explicitly labeled as such in Scripture. But we can make an educated, qualified guess and say, like, that's the Trinity. Um, even though the Trinity is not used in Scripture at all right. anywhere, um, the I mean, word Trinity. yeah, yeah, there's I mean, there's a couple other words that are not used in Scripture as well, but there are other things that we believe based off of good good and necessary consequence about mm -hmm. that stuff. Because um, most religions, historically speaking, will believe like Jesus walked on Earth, but they have a hard time associating Jesus as a divine being sharing in that essence with the father and the spirit that's right. that's probably the big thing because islam believes in jesus yeah they say he's a prophet he just points to muhammad right um or allah i mean and muhammad being a higher prophet in their understanding than jesus is jesus is just like another one of the prophets and islam not islam but judaism looking at jesus as a false prophet they can't like Jews can't look at Jesus and say anything else, but he's a false prophet because he makes explicit claims of being God, of sharing in that same essence as God. And then Mormons tend to talk to us about that as well because they believe Jesus is like a literal created being um, who became God. And then we will all become like Jesus and then have our own universes and we will replay this creation account all over again. Jehovah's Witnesses, take a really bad understanding of John 1 um, and this lack of an article in front of the Greek word for God, they'll say, and the word was a God. Hmm. So they split the Trinity and they said that there literally are different divine beings. Um, but there's a Greek grammatical principle that goes against what they're saying um, that you can, by again, by understanding the context of scripture and other Greek documents, you can say that this is saying that the word was God, not the word was a God. That's what most critics say against Christianity. Okay, cool. Um, so is there an easy way to know why God had to have it be three beings and not even just two? Like, couldn't he have just been the father and had the son and there was not the Holy Spirit? So, I mean, like, technically... God is omniscient, omnipresent, 
all powerful, so he can do whatever he wants. But it's it's hard for us to understand. I think, especially as Americans, with our kind of concept of liberty and free will and mm-hmm. our ability to do whatever we want, we we'll say, we say, well, why can't God do whatever he wants? And can God make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it or push it or whatever it is? But they're confusing a couple terms. Um, and with God, the Trinity is absolutely necessary for salvation. Mm-hmm. If there was no Trinity, we would not be saved. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is like we talked about at the beginning of this episode is because the father is the one who planned this redemption. If there was no son who was fully God, fully man, he could not take our burden on top of himself being fully man. And also at the same time, be completely sinless as the fully God. Right. So we need that second person of the Trinity because he's the one who is the mediator who connects us, who gives us his obedience because he's the only one who can obey perfectly while at the same time communing with us because of his full manhood. And the spirit, we need the spirit because what good is the obedience if it's not applied to us? We need that application of the obedience of Christ from the spirits. Being that one like we talked about in last episode for eschatology, the one who is our deposit of the world to come, who gives us his obedience and says, you have that inheritance coming and that is absolutely guaranteed. We had just one God, there would be no redemption. Mm. Yeah, without the, this might be a terrible analogy, so I apologize. <laughs> you kind of like, without the spirit, it would be like if you had a, your car full of gas in the parking lot and you just don't get in it to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, there's no driver. Yeah, you got to get in it and then go apply it and go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So there's, the question I'd like to wrap up is always, how does this theme tie to the gospel of Jesus? And if it's okay with you, Peter, I really want to take a crack at this one today. <laughs> no. <laughs> no yeah. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, because this is, oh man, this is so cool. I, I kind of, I came across this, I believe it was in one of Tim Keller's books, The Reason for God, and I kind of, I'm not... You know, I kind of put it in my own words and, and digest it a little bit. But whenever I've explained this to someone, whether they believe in Jesus or not, I feel like it looks like they've heard the gospel for the first time. Like it's just a new, deeper, uh, crucial meaning and understanding of why Jesus had to do what he did. And yeah. so, and it has, it directly ties to the Trinity. So, with that said, I, I always want to start off saying, God is so perfect with the relationship between God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are so ultimately perfect and holy. They did not need to create anything to become any better. They did not. That just puts us into a humble position of knowing, look, it's pure grace that he even created you and the world and beauty around us. Like, he could have sat in eternity, not created anything. He would have been just as glorious and wonderful and amazing. Yeah. So the fact that he even created us is a motivation for love and what he already was. And he wants to sh- have us share and experience love. Um, the reason why there has to be a trinity 
versus one. Just pretend for a second uh, that it was just God the Father. No, there was just that one person. There was no Trinity. He, tech, he wouldn't have that relationship between the other two Trinity beings. Um, there would be no shared, perfect, holy love, give and take, um, where they're perfect union um, and on all things. Like, it's the most ultimate power of relationship and love. So the basis of God's Trinity is love and relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's equally shared in power, divinity, and everything between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Spirit. They all, they all do things where the other two, each one of them does something the other two would completely agree on, and they're always on the same page. Um, so it's a perfect relationship. Um, that gets us to Jesus. Um, so when Jesus died on the cross, the physical nature of him dying, nailed to the tree, uh, suffering, although that was so physically horrible, and we should never downplay that, was that truly the most worst physical martyrdom ever in human history or physical way of dying? The answer is no, I mean, there are other people that probably died in even more of a physical pain. Even some of his followers burned alive or in the Colosseum in Rome, eaten by lions, whatever. So you can't just look at Jesus and be like, oh, he endured a lot of physical pain as a human. He did, but it's more than that. Um, the true meaning of what he did on the cross was the separation of relationship that he knew for eternity up to that point with his father. Um, that relationship is unnatural to God to break. He literally allowed, God the Father allowed himself to turn his face, turn away from his son, separate a relationship with his son. And so the pain, the sorrow, the loneliness, the hurt was all magnified there's not even a proper word in, in our language because it is never hap- it's never going to happen again on that level. And it's such a supernatural separation of relationship. Um, we can't really fully comprehend it, but that is what this true pain was. God turned away from his son and God and Jesus then was unleashed with the unjust uh the unjust punishment because he's so perfect he's god and he he shouldn't have ever had a unjust punishment on himself and he took it he took it on and jesus knew from beginning of time that they had an agreement that's what he would do he would walk into that and that would be what happens and when he's on the cross uh you know, he's, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? That makes more sense. You know, he, he feels the separation of the father, even in the garden, uh, the day before the garden, Gethsemane, um, uh, before he was going to be captured and, and, uh, he started to feel the separation. He was so scared. He was feeling the loneliness. 
So whether we feel loneliness, abandonment, whatever is not even close to what he felt because his was on a supernatural uh, level where he is God and he was in perfect unity with an infinite God as well. So that I really want to like really drive home is just the, that, that relationship that was ripped away temporarily so that we could enter into holy union. So Jesus really took on the, uh, the punishment that we were supposed to get. And so now there, it kind of ripped a hole open and, 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 um, in God with God to allow us to enter. Um, that was the only way it could happen. If there was no Trinity, like you said earlier, there was no way that he could have saved mankind in a way that was focused on love and relationship. Um, so it was crucial and perfect and necessary that uh, Jesus had to actually, as God, had to uh, die in that way, Get completely ripped away from himself mm -hmm. in the fire. So that let, that let us in. So hopefully I explained that well. I was kind of just winging it. But what do you think of that, Peter? Yeah, he was broken off so we can be grafted in. He was treated as one who transgressed the law and gave us the record of the one who fulfilled the law. Second Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. Mm. That's, that is why the Trinity is absolutely crucial. And um, we can be sure of our redemption because Christ was treated as the lawless. So we are treated as lawful. Mm -hmm. And it's crucial that he was 100% man, 100% God for this to happen. I mean, there's no other way. It's just brilliant. So, yeah. I mean, it was truly the most heroic, strong, courageous thing a man has ever done that could, because it was, you know, it could only be done by God. So, yep. Um, there's only I, just way to do this. Otherwise, God would have been unjust. Mm -hmm. But in order for him to allow broken, disobedient sinners was to break his son, was to treat him as one who was disobedient, which is why Jesus said, why are you forsaking me? Why are you leaving me? As the spirit, as God in the garden pushed Adam and Eve out, God is pushing Jesus out as the transgressor mm -hmm. and bringing us in. And to save people that hate him. I mean, that's just like, yeah, that's why he's infinite love and perfect. I mean, he was able to do that for people that hated him. Yeah. Uh, that's why we, we can't do the gospel. That's, no. we can't live the gospel. The gospel was lived for us mm -hmm. in the Trinity so that we can live because of the gospel. Mm -hmm. yeah that was good so i hope that impacted you guys i i'm just praying that it allowed you to feel the gospel even deeper and appreciate god and jesus for what they what's happened already um 
I think the true meaning of life really is a relationship with God because mm-hmm. why else would God, when he's perfect and eternally perfect, even if he never created anything, uh, why would he even create something? It's because he wants us to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So you just being born and realizing you're on this, in this world, uh, the whole reason you're here is because God created you and he wants to actually have you know who he is and know him. And so mm-hmm. you can experience his glory. And so when yep. you go to heaven, you can experience those things. That's why yeah. he created. The only way we can know him is because of the obedience of the son. Yep. Through the applying work of the spirit. Otherwise, we can't know him. And it's not because we want to. It's because we have chosen not to. Yes. Cool. Well, any last minute thoughts, Peter? I think that is a great spot to kind of wrap up. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever we think of the Trinity, we try to come up with these like pithy little statements, like the four leaf or like the three, four leaf clover or the egg analogy or the sun or whatever it is. And those are fallible interpretations. And at some point they fall through, like even the egg one comes from a chicken. So it's a created thing. Right. So every kind of symbol metaphor falls apart at some point. So what I would suggest is, um, and I'll link it to this episode, is look at the ancient creeds from Christians in 200 to about 400 AD, because they're all responding to critics. They're all responding to heretics who are trying to destroy the Trinity, trying to destroy the divinity of Christ. Um, it very clearly, though hard to understand, clearly represents the trinity and mm. if you guys really want a solid understanding we can't do any better than what's already been said we're we're not like reinventing the wheel on this podcast we're just telling you the wheel exists yeah exactly perfect well uh thank you everybody i uh, hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time yeah peace out look forward to seeing you guys next time <laughs>